something to remember when you do B2B marketing is that your account are not buying before they have hundreds of impressions of your brand because they need trust in what you're selling. So anywhere you can find an opportunity to remarket people who've been on your website, just do it. <laughs> so that, that we do. You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industry. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, I'm with Stefan Hedebrandt, who is a co-founder and chief revenue officer at Dream Data. And Dream Data is solving the very complex problem of attribution for B2B SaaS companies. So welcome to the show, Stefan. Thank you so much, Paris. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to our discussion. Great. And hopefully after a couple of false starts this time, we're going we're gonna to nail it and our <laughs> connections are going to hold up. Yeah. Uh, why don't you start us off and, and help our audience understand a little bit more about what, what Dream Data is doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. Uh, so Dream Data is basically, a, you can call it a revenue attribution platform. And we, like, we very deliberately use the words uh, revenue as opposed to just the traditional marketing attribution. Because in, in B2B, uh, you don't close five, six-figure deals with like a click on an ad. There's a lot of touches involved. There's a lot of people involved. And uh, yeah, it takes a lot of time to, to make those deals happen. And what we essentially do for our customers is that we, we build a, a database. And this database contains every single touch that they have available that touches their account journeys. So that's everything from CRMs to CS to marketing automation to outreach software, etc. So we pull that data out of silos and then organize it into uh, an account-based data model. And then mm -hmm. we also track whatever people is doing on their website as well. And this has that great advantage that with an account-based data model, with all the people involved in the account, you can go back and look at what were the first touches of this journey and what was the last touches of this journey, what looks to be important times in the journey. So the first order of business, uh, it's really important for me to state is get as much, much data as you can uh, into the data model, because essentially all models are going to be crap if they're applied to to just you know 10% of the actual journey mm -hmm. yeah and this seems uh typically with the types of are you working predominantly with uh, with b2b enterprise saas that have pretty complex and long sales cycles um so i don't I would say those who really need an attribution or like a B2B specific attribution tool uh, is, is companies that are selling to, you know, more than one stakeholder. So if you're a B2B, but selling to micro businesses where the user the, and the buyer and the guy with the money is the same person, then the attribution is not as big a problem. Mm -hmm. But typically you'd see in B2B uh, deals that there's two, three, four, five people involved in the deal and it takes more than a month and if those two things are present then you know google analytics just starts falling apart very fast yeah so that's kind of uh, so that the ones we're selling to their sales scenario is more than one person and more than a month uh, i think that's a, a quick way to wrap it up okay yeah and about how many of your current customers are b2b SaaS? uh around 90 percent or so okay uh, so in our st strategic document you'd see b2b SaaS as defined as our ideal customer profile so it's it's most mm -hmm. of our customers yeah and i can actually say a little bit more why, why that is, that's the case because huh. um in attribution you're looking to have as much uh, data about the whole customer journey as possible with SaaS companies, you typically see that they do most of their marketing investment online. 
the salespeople, they do inside sales. So they sit at their computer and use different pieces of software. And the product itself is also delivered online, uh, typically, you know, software as a service. <laughs> so mm -hmm. kind of you have an opportunity to almost do kind of closed loop attribution, meaning that from the first touch to the very last touch, you kind of have digital touches of all of it. And that's why we, you know, uh, our product delivers particularly well when it's uh, software as a service companies. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm curious for companies that have the combination of both uh, enterprise sales, it could be maybe account-based marketing, but it's basically a motion that's designed to feed high quality leads to sales teams combined with uh, the so-called product-led growth approach where it's, a, it's more self-serve, low-touch to no-touch sales, but then some of those people eventually need to be upgraded. Can you also close that loop for people that get into a product-led growth experience and then later go into some sort of an upsell with sales? Oh, yeah, uh, good question. So our uh, so we have a tracking script that you put on your uh, website or like basically all your digital entities. So... We like we ourselves we sell through kind of a, a freemium model, PLG model, whatever you want to call it. That mm -hmm. when our script sits inside of the product as well, we'll keep recording this user is doing these things inside of your product. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the activity of the individual. But then it's up to kind of you know the salespeople. So we we typically use the deals created in the CRM to kind mm -hmm. of apply money to to the to the account. So if the salespeople go through these kind of things where like now I see an opportunity here, they create a deal and then at one a month or two later, they move that deal to closed one. Then, uh, yeah, basically we, we take that money you win and then put back throughout those different touches that you, uh, you track both in the product and on your like public mm -hmm. website and, and so forth. Okay. I imagine that now working with, uh, with so many B2B SaaS companies and having that bird's eye view on this attribution across so many companies that are uh, going through the same, more or less going through the same processes. You, you must have now seen some trends and gathered some statistics about things like maybe average number of touch points <laughs> related to deal size or length, length of a sales cycle. What kind of data and what, what kind of basically data are you seeing now at the industry level about, about B2B enterprise SaaS and attribution? <laughs> so, I can I'll give you a few from, from the top of my, uh, my mind. Uh, so one thing that is very real is the, the time people spend anonymous until they become that kind of converted lead. Mm -hmm. Typically, SaaS companies are pretty well aware about the funnel from the moment that the conversion happened and then to the deal was closed because you know mm -hmm. that's a visible journey. But because our uh, script starts uh, uh, tracking people from the moment then when they arrived at the website the first time as anonymous people, mm -hmm. uh, we can actually see that that journey is typically either as long as the sales journey, uh, the known sales journey or, or, or longer. So mm -hmm. the research phase that takes place, if you're like, if your known sales cycle is three months, then you typically see that people are on the website the first time three months ago. Mm -hmm. And, now we're talking uh, marketing that's extremely important to know because like now as we speak right now it's almost october and if if the actual sales journey is six months we call it time to revenue if that's actually six months and your ceo is screaming that you need to help hit the hit the goals this year well then that's a little bit hard if we're like outside mm -hmm. the normal sales cycle. So, so that info that you actually need, if you want to create demand, you need to start a lot earlier than you actually think. I think that's mm -hmm. a good revelation for a lot of people, not just to hit targets, but also for when do you actually know whether an experiment is a success or not? And this is a mistake I did in my past a lot mm -hmm. because I used to judge marketing spend in the same month as I made the spends even though it's completely stupid because, you know, like in this industry, deals doesn't happen overnight. They take three, six, 12 months and you need to see the lifetime value, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But marketers to still do the conclusions in the same month as they spent the money, which, you know, basically doesn't make any sense. 
Yeah. And then, uh, like, add to that, um, I most companies are aware of it, but a, a lot of people underestimate that they're actually selling to to teams and not individuals. Mm-hmm. This means that if you're selling to uh, like an account with three or four people, then all the tools that you use in growth and marketing are not telling you the truth because they're looking at the behavior of an individual who's actually part of an account's journey. So Google Analytics doesn't work, Facebook ads doesn't work. None of these tools tell you what's actually going on because they're based on the individuals and not, a, not on an account. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how does that sound so far? <laughs> it, it, it sounds complex. I mean, how, how could you actually try to capture... If, if, you're need, if you're selling to a team of people, let's say there's a committee of three or four people that need to make a decision. Yeah. Um, how do you monitor? There's probably going to be one person who's going to be the most active in a research phase, depending on how the decision, how the decision authority is distributed among that team. Maybe there's going to be one person on that team making a final decision, but that person is not going to be the, the, the very active person in the research phase. Do you all help companies get an understanding of who is an influencer to a decision maker and who is an end decision maker and then how you can adapt according to that? Yeah, so in, in that sense, we, we don't have an op, uh, opinion about that part of the data. Mm-hmm. What we do, basically, we take all the touches and organize into an account-based timeline. So mm-hmm. one day Steph does something, the next day Paris does something. We don't, we can, uh, for we can offer customers to do uh, custom attribution models and then like exaggerate the impact of certain things. Mm-hmm. But like uh, what we do is that we help people get all the touches into one journey and then mm-hmm. then people can have their own opinions about what's uh, important. I think it's also important to think about an attribution tool. It's not a, it's not a, an Oracle or an alchemist or something like that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Very statistical framework that supports your gut feeling that gives you confidence to do stuff. So we're, we're never, ever going to get you to knowing 100% of everything that took place. Never, mm-hmm. ever, ever going to happen. But it's about yeah. moving moving what you know from 5 10% to maybe moving that to knowing 60 70% of what's going on. Yeah, Because that's still enabling you to make better decisions than you did, did before. Yeah. And as you said, even confirming your intuition, I think a lot of times that marketers and salespeople do have, they, they do make good decisions and they their intuition is right. But having a tool that can help you confirm and trust your intuition even more is also really valuable. And it's extremely valuable when you're going upstairs to ask for more budget. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then, I was you wanna, gonna... then you want to say, mm-hmm. look, I actually... Well, Marketing was the first touch of 50% of all our deals this quarter. Um, mm-hmm. It would be pretty cool. And, and, and I have a plan for which campaigns it was that brought us these things. So yeah. how about you give me 50% more budget this uh, next quarter? Mm-hmm. I, I want to I know a little bit more specifically about some of these market, uh, marketing attribution touch points. Because our, our audience, I believe, is uh, really mostly interested in the, in the marketing side of things. Yeah. And it's very interesting that for these, these enterprise deals, you're, you're saying that the data shows about half of the time is spent in a, mar- a marketing, anonymized marketing series of touch points, and then, and, and then it becomes more personalized with sales. In that marketing phase, are you typically seeing any channels that are mo- more commonly early touch points and other channels that are more commonly later touch points up until the point where that person then um, comes out from the shadows and reveals their identity to sales. That's a good uh, question. I'm like, I will have to qualitatively reflect upon it. Uh, so I think typically you'd see that. Uh, where to start? Um, so there's there's a couple of things I want to say. There's the things that are easy to track. You know, it's so popular to talk about white and dark funnels these days, mm-hmm. but. A common pattern is that there's none of our customers that have proof that display ads work. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> if they work, at least there's no way to, to prove it. 
And that, that I mean, really across every single customer, it's not starting any new deals for any of our customers. Mm-hmm. So like this, this explosion of ABM platforms and hype about doing like display ads for ABM, at least we can't see any proof for it. And that's even for some of our customers who use these very expensive platforms for it. Mm-hmm. So that's just one point. And what we typically see starting the journey are, uh, all these kind of marketing touches, like from your Google search ads, from your LinkedIn ads, from your maybe even if you're doing social selling on LinkedIn. The important thing to remember here is that we we are in a multi-touch game, and typically direct direct traffic would be will be a super big bucket when it comes to less touch, like a single touch, less touch before people becomes demo calls or become newsletter signups or something else. Mm-hmm. But when you actually have access to multi-touch data, you can actually track it back to the true first touch. And that that's a super important distinction because if you're doing like last touch, sing, uh, by last touch, I mean the, the last single touch before they convert it, mm-hmm. you're not actually understanding how that person arrived to your website. Yeah, and Typically, you'd see a lot of those, that ad spend that looks completely as a cost is actually getting a lot of people on the website the first time. And then they have two more visits or three more, four more visits before they actually convert. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the direct bucket is uh, bigger than it's actually is in reality. Mm-hmm. And then all of these things, as, as you would regard as marketing touches, you know, ads, forums, communities, social selling, etc., they're actually starting most journeys you know, mm-hmm. that demand doesn't come out of nowhere. That's just not the case when you're, particularly when you're talking about SaaS startups that are fairly unknown. It's activities, mm-hmm. it's marketing activities that's driving people to the website. Yeah. But if, if you're not wired to understand multi-touch, then most stuff looks direct. Yeah, I can tell you that still a lot of the, a lot of the clients that we work with still want us to report to them the performance of each channel. And yeah, by, exactly. by doing that, they're very much implying that this is last click attribution. They're saying, well, yes. show us Facebook versus Google versus LinkedIn. Um, yeah. We are all, always trying to explain that a lot of the, a lot yeah, of the yeah, credit yeah. that maybe paid search is getting it has, been, has been highly assisted by Facebook ads or by LinkedIn ads. And it's, it's much more complex. And I think that that's a whole different way of thinking. And a lot that's of our, a, yeah. a lot of the smaller Customers also, they're, they're nowhere near doing anything like data-driven attribution. And my next question here is, if, if you have a choice between some of the out-of-the-box attribution models that come with, with Google Analytics, you've got, you've got, la- you've got last, last click and first click, and then you've got different other models in this position-based. Mm. Do you have any, would you have any advice for our listeners if, if you had to choose between one of those templated out-of-the-box attribution models? Which one is... Do you think so, it's the best yeah, one? Um, a couple of things to say here. So let's take Google Analytics out of the picture. Okay. Because if you if you agree with me that we're selling to an account that persists of three or four or five people, Google Analytics is only showing you the behavior of individual devices. It's not even showing you the behavior of Paris that has a phone, a computer, and a tablet. So... If you would arrive to the website one time with each of those devices, you'd be looking like that's the first time we ever ever we see you. Mm-hmm. So it's just incredibly flawed anything yeah. you look at inside of Google Analytics. So please stop using Google Analytics if you're a B2B. That aside, mm-hmm. this is a podcast about marketing. And I I, I, I tend to have a, a particular interest in the, the first touch uh, or like the early stage models would which could be like first touch or stuff you call double V shape, which is kind of first touch, first conversion and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But what we're looking for as, as like marketers doing them, it also depends on the purpose of what you're doing. Like essentially you're trying to understand which part of the journey am I impacting? When we run ads at Dream Data, I'm doing it to, to start new journeys. I'm starting doing it to, you know, create demand. So, Mm-hmm. A first touch model is actually a really good model 
uh, it exaggerates obviously the value creation, but it helps you show which ads did actually start journeys that ended up becoming maybe sales qualified leads. Mm -hmm. So in your own marketing, Stefan, you, you give a, you give a little bit more weight to that first touch than uh, let's say a typical marketer would. Um, I don't, I don't know whether that's more than I, I, I I'm mm -hmm. trying to start journeys and that's why yeah. I want to understand what's the very first touch we know of those accounts that actually come all the way through to the sales pipeline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I understand. That's, I maybe that's, a, like that's a separate point in B2B is that you're not doing marketing to deliver on an MQL number. You're doing marketing to ultimately deliver deals that your company win. Mm -hmm. So the ads that you're running here, you want to do them towards those that go as far down the pipeline as, as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that there's a distinction when it comes to SaaS companies, there's a distinction in the type of SaaS company that should weight more heavily on first touch and demand generation versus demand capture or demand fulfillment closer to the bottom of the funnel and, and more of a last touch model. And what I'm getting at here is I think that there are some uh, established SaaS categories where they're very competitive and there is a very, very healthy amount of search demand. And it's a known, it's a known mm. category. People are shopping for CRMs and they have been for yes, years. But um, so in those cases, um, you really, it's a fight for market share. And mm. in those cases, I think when people are coming into a journey already with a pretty good understanding of the category. So I understand the CRM category, yeah. but I'm looking to switch CRMs because I'm missing, I have a pain point. I'm missing yeah, a yeah, few yeah, features. Yeah. So there I'm probably going to go through a faster journey and a marketer who understands that, who is competing in a fairly mature SaaS category can probably then weight more heavily on last touch as opposed to the opposite end of the spectrum. If you are a really innovative if you're if you're bringing something very innovative to market, and you're a what we call a a category creator or a trailblazer, yeah, then people don't know they are they don't even know what they don't know, so they don't even really necessarily have an awareness of the problem that you're solving, and yeah. their demand <laughs> demand generation is everything because nobody is searching for that thing yet. Paid yeah. search, unless you can really crack through some adjacent search mm. terms, which is a different discussion. But usually, paid search isn't there until you've established the category. So you've got to, you've got to put the emphasis on demand, uh, demand generation. And that's where I believe that more of a putting more weight on that first touch and a more uh, for first touch attribution model is going to be more appropriate. Would you uh, uh, is, really agree? A, yeah, it's a, such an interesting, I think it's so well put and it fits exactly the situation we're in uh, with, with, with Dream Data as well, because mm -hmm. An attribution tool doesn't have a natural spot on the, the CFO budget. Mm -hmm. A CRM does, so I can totally relate to kind of you very t very fast. You kind of you buy the traffic available, very low funnel, and then mm -hmm. from there it's uh, it's much more painful to uh, you call it create demand. Uh, so I can definitely relate to to, the, to that pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess the other challenge that I see, and when when the finance folks get involved, they also when they're when they're giving budget, they want to see what's the return. And I think what you pointed out earlier is is really important because there's a window of time. If if a CFO gives a marketer a demand gen budget, and then judges that budget in that same quarter that it's that the budget is given, mm. then as you as you pointed out, that's the wrong way to do it because if if that if we need to really nurture this demand and it's going to take time for people to first become aware of a pain point mm -hmm. then steadily move into research mode where they're actually looking yeah. to solve that and, and ready to and ready to get a solution could it's be a, a few good, months a good example yeah, yeah a good example is that as you said mentioned yourself that like you can start doing great content on your website that addresses some broader categories than what you're particularly doing so those mm -hmm. blog posts you produce that will start to help create awareness about your product. And then maybe six months or 12 months down the line, the person that found your first blog post now is actually in market for a solution. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know that that blog post is actually being the first touch, you'll yeah. shut down that operation because you can't connect those two dots that they start here and then they go <laughs> right. to another place afterward. 
That's also very interesting because the content marketing team needs budget too, and they need to justify that budget. And in some cases, uh, yeah, I think it's, actually it's so, a lot of content is so hard to maintain under headcount because if you cannot prove that they're pro providing value, they, you know, you'll be yeah. pressured on why why keep them. Yeah. So I have a, like in my old company before Dream Data, I was actually like from one year to another, I decided that we needed to bet big on content. Mm -hmm. So we had like a set up a team with two writers, a designer, a videographer, and then a manager. And the only proof for the very first, like the very long run, I was only kind of vanity stuff like, hey, organic traffic on Google is yeah. going up or I, our search rankings is improving in this search tool. But <laughs> none of these things you can pay any salary with so the ceo yeah. will be like sure this is good <laughs> and then it actually I, coincidentally i actually met my now two co-founders from dream data that had like an early early beta beta prototype sort of thing where we connected our data and then we can actually start to see that there were certain pieces of uh, content that we've been making that it produced incredible amounts of revenue Mm -hmm. The problem just is that the content would be, you know, early in the buyer's journey, mm -hmm. starting the, you know, uh, re like relation to that customer. And then like three yeah. months later or six months later, somebody buys your product. Mm -hmm. And then there's no proof or appreciation of that content actually capturing the first kind of uh, demand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have a framework here that, well, well, it's not our framework, but it, it's the buyer awareness journey. And it starts, it really starts at the very top where the, the persona or the user isn't even aware of a pain point. And the content that can make them aware of a pain point or maybe shine a spotlight on a, something that is not perceived as a pain point or maybe just a small annoyance, but you maybe magnify that and you make them feel that it's a bigger pain. That that is how you really open up the top of the funnel, in my opinion, because your total yeah. addressable market. If if you if you were to draw a boundary around your total addressable market, yeah, most marketers will probably see that the vast majority of those people aren't even aware yet that they really have a problem that that you mm -hmm. think you solve. Yeah, and if you can get to those people and you can convince them that actually they do have a problem, that you can get them to know what they don't know. And that's usually done with, with, a, with a blog post, with editorial educational content, not with any type yeah. of sales content. Then, then you get them into the top of the funnel. But then after that, as you said, that might start a very slow and, and a prolonged research process that eventually has them doing a brand search for your brand uh, three or four months later. And um, that's why what I you guys believe... typically do then to... Mm -hmm. I'm super interested in hearing what you guys typically help people with to mm -hmm. to kind of get that top funnel going because it, it's so hard mm -hmm. to sustain it if you cannot kind of at least tell a story about how these activities leads to these kind of outcomes. Yeah. Uh, what, what we do, and it's very imperfect, is in all those very top of funnel type of content, we interlink to other pages that are further down funnel. And we try to demonstrate people's click behavior. So if yeah. they land in a blog post, depending on where that might sit in the funnel, we might link from an educational blog post to maybe more of a a step by step guide for how to let's just say you know how do you then start to buy in this category before yeah. even introducing the brand yet. And ultimately, you want to get people into your your so called money pages, your service pages, solutions pages the pages that have the real call to action that is eventually going to drive a sign up or uh, or a demo call booking now that might be that might be one click it might be two clicks or three yeah. clicks but when we design content we're designing it very intentionally with the internal links that are placed in every piece of content so that people rather than leave that content they're going to click through and they're going to go a little take a step further down down the funnel now that's how it's designed but in in practice <laughs> a lot of people will read a blog Stay post in the funnel <laughs> and they bounce out yeah. And, then you, and then they bounce out and you have to wonder, all right, are they ever going to come back? Did we plant the seed, a little seed of, of awareness now? And, and is yeah. that something they're going to start to think about and maybe start sniffing around this topic? And there we lose it, actually. And, and unfortunately, still, um, we are judged as an agency. Our content marketing is judged primarily on the ability to rank and bring organic traffic. 
And then there's a certain conversion rate, um, you know, a, a blanket average conversion rate for the whole website that gets applied to that traffic. And then yeah. that's the assumed ROI. And that's, that's wrong. I mean, it's totally that's, wrong. Uh, that's basically what we bring to our customers that say you convert one of your articles converted one person that is then part of an account with two or three other people and they have a manager mm -hmm. who has the credit card. Then yeah. we can still go back and say the first time we saw this account was actually an organic visit on this piece of content mm -hmm. that now three months later is your customer. Mm -hmm. So that must mean that you can enrich that data even with the first touch point and you can connect the IP address to a company? Yeah, so I can maybe I just explain the simple technology as, as far as I understand what we do. So mm -hmm. we have a script. This script assigns anonymous IDs to every visitor on the website. And we store that in a database. Then if you come two, three, four, five times, we'll just keep adding to your logbook of what are you doing? Where did you come from? And at some point, you're going to let, let us know who you are by submitting a form, meaning that you book a demo, you log into the product, you sign up to the newsletter. And when they do that thing, we get consent to actually look at what they did while they were anonymous. So mm -hmm. this way we stay compliant about uh, like their personal identifi identifiable data. Mm -hmm. Now now we know one person and his or her behavior. Then we link this person to the account that they belong to by a string of things that we do all the time, which is look in the CRM to see if there's a relationship between this person and an account. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't work out, we'll go into this automation system and see if there's a relation there and so forth in all your tools. If none of that works, then we take, uh, just look at the, uh, the URL of the email address. Is this mm -hmm. a company we know? Then we can sort it that way. Okay. If none of that works, then we use reverse uh, IP lookup, as you say, to say, do we know, is this IP a publicly known IP that we can use to sort it by? And okay. if none of it works, you'll just remain anonymous until we're able to associate with you with uh, an account. Okay, gotcha. Does this all assume that the person is using the same device throughout the journey? No, so in that way, we work like a CDP. Uh, so one user can have both multiple emails, so private and professional email. It can also mm -hmm. own multiple devices. So the, the user ID holds information about each of the browsers that they've been using and we've been able to identify. Okay. So for example, you sign up on our website with your mobile phone the first time, then you come back on our website and then do stuff from your computer. And as soon as we can link uh, your computer and your mobile phone together, we'll do that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So cross device attribution check. Yes. It's still, it's still a major flaw that Google Analytics hasn't hasn't solved yet. So yeah, again, like that, there's so many reasons why you, you should be very careful about what you use Google Analytics for. Well, let, let's talk a bit about about your particular marketing. So you're investing you're investing pretty heavily in content because you're you're dog fooding your own product and it's showing you which pieces of content not necessarily just drive the traffic, but are actually ultimately driving people all the way through to a, to a, a conversion with value. Is that right? <laughs> I wish. I would have, there's, you know, as you said yourself, there are so many things that everybody can do better, including us. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think what we started out doing uh, with our paid marketing was to say, uh, okay, let's, let's fix the bottom of the, the funnel. Like, that known search behavior out there that what we know is valuable, let's cover mm -hmm. that. So we've done that and then we run remarketing ads towards everybody. The same thing we've done with uh, the review, review uh, software review platforms. So mm -hmm. if you're looking at attribution tools within a review platform for software, then you're probably also in market. So we're also buying ads, ads from those. Mm -hmm. Then actually our content, we we try to like the starting point is that it needs to be sales support. So the tough questions that our salespeople get, we try to answer those. So the salespeople know, sorry, I cannot answer this question, but I know we have a really good article addressing this thing. This could be stuff like, should I buy an ABM platform or should I use a revenue attribution tool? And then we produce content that tries to answer those questions really well. Mm -hmm. And then later on, hopefully, and then we do all the kind of on-site optimization of all those blog posts. So hopefully they will 
start climbing the ranks of Google afterwards. Mm-hmm. So that the content engine is focused around either explaining how our product works or how we can help salespeople answer tough questions. Mm-hmm. Then uh, I would say some of the things that we've been really successful with recently has been you know, what you can popularly call social selling uh, on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So starting to cre- create everybody on our team is basically creating between three and five posts a week now on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And if you do that with a very uh, narrowly defined uh, ideal customer profile in mind, so you provide quality posts targeted at a certain amount of people, and then you continuously add people that fits your ideal customer profile, then kind of the messaging continue to amplify itself because it mm-hmm. reaches more and more of the right people. And this is actually something where, you know, attribution is a bit harder because how do you measure that you get deeper and deeper into kind of your your defined ideal customer profile Mm -hmm. but we can see for example quarter on quarter we double the amount of 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 deals coming from direct Mm -hmm. so that's kind of ad spend sustains a similar level but now posting on linkedin a lot then direct traffic Mm -hmm. uh, direct as the source of uh, new deals doubled Mm -hmm. so i would say Particularly, as we are, our product is addressing um, marketers, and marketers spend a lot of their day on uh, on LinkedIn. <laughs> so I think that's one of the reasons why it's working particularly well. Whereas, like, if you're addressing the construction industry or something like that, they probably don't spend that much time on uh, on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and are you then, doing yeah, that? Is, yeah, another thing we we do spend a lot of uh, we have we pitch podcasts every week like yours to can we please be on it where we kind of also like narrowly search for podcasts within at least a somewhere broad scope of b2b uh, marketing and attribution mm-hmm. because we'd rather be in front of you know 50 good listeners than like 400 of irrelevant listeners so we're just yeah, really trying totally. to pick out the niche mm-hmm. audiences and i'm really interested on the linkedin uh strategy so you've got you've got a few people that are consistently sharing their posts so their connections are also you the people they're connected with should be in the in the in the good icp fit yeah are you doing that mostly organically or are you also supporting that with with any sponsored posts or paid ads so i think it's two separate disciplines uh so we yeah so we we also do ads on LinkedIn and uh, it's not a platform I've worked a lot with before but now the last year I've, I've been digging deeper and deeper into it so first of all obviously uh, do uh, a lot of retargeting there so mm-hmm. I just that's I think that's a something to remember when you do B two B marketing is that your account are not buying before they have hundreds of impressions of your brand because they need mm-hmm. trust in what you're selling. So yeah. anywhere you can find an opportunity to remarket people who've been on your website, just do it. <laughs> yeah. So that, that we do. And then um, I'm working mostly with the matched audiences, which means mm-hmm. that, yeah. uh, for example, I've made a list from uh, Crunchbase about, from, with SaaS companies in Europe. Mm-hmm. And then I have a thousand SaaS companies in Europe, which I'm trying to hit marketers within. Mm-hmm. And then I'm uh, running like carousel ads, video ads, and also these conversational ads towards these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, of those things, the only thing that we really feel working right now is the conversational ads where we get people to convert to, to an ebook. So mm-hmm. we get people to, to sign up or like request download of an ebook. So we get their email and we get them at a, at a pretty decent uh, price. Mm-hmm. But another B2B lesson is that, you know, f- who fucking cares how many e- ebook downloads you generate? Because the only thing that matters is that those accounts become customers. Mm-hmm. So what we've instructed our BDRs is to regard this as a, as a flag for now you need to pay attention to the account mm-hmm. not the individual who converted so the bdr will start to connect with different icps within that account mm-hmm. 
so he starts addressing all of them and offering the ebook to all of them. So hopefully we can spur some some team conversation. Mm-hmm. There's so long for getting somebody to fill out a form on one of these lead forms to mm-hmm. an actual deal happening, and that's maybe it's just a time factor that we haven't had enough time. But we've not, you know, we've not succeeded in selling to a lot of these people who to a lot of the accounts that have filled out the forms yet. Mm-hmm. So you are gating you're gating the ebook with a form. Yeah, and I think for now, I think yes. Yeah, so so <laughs> I hate that gating versus not gating discussion. Let me just give you my t- view on it. Yeah, open open most stuff, but when you do ads towards particular things, then you want to gate them because then you can get them to give you your email. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I can even have the same piece of content that is completely open on the website. I can have that gated in my ad because ads is about, you know, actually generating some ROI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. we have content in that ebook that is completely available on the website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're really, um, when, when you're gating, I mean, there's clearly a trade off there. Is it worth it to get the email? Or you can, do you see any? conversions or traction with with the uh, email nurtures that follow up on that that justify the the, the smaller numbers that you're going to get by just putting the putting the form in front of the the asset I don't to be honest I don't know what the <laughs> right answer is <laughs> yeah I can tell I you what, I, what we I can tell you what we tested was uh, so if you recall the list I had like European SaaS companies in there and then addressing mm-hmm. the market tester Initially, we went with go try our product or book a demo. And these people would most likely never have heard about us before. So ready, like, yeah. No fucking way that they are going to our website and signing up with very sensitive data. So that's why we switched tactic to have a very soft conversion like offering, hey, here's an ebook that can help you do better B2B ads. Mm-hmm. So that's how far we are in the process that we, we found out we cannot get them to book a demo on the first touch. Which is very fair. <laughs> you don't want to yeah. want to kiss on first date. You want to like warm people up. Sure. Bit first. Yeah. Now that makes sense. Now something I'm testing is that I'm doing some some matched audiences where I also run newsfeed ads and, and conversational ads, and then I have some audiences that only gets the conversational ad. And you know, this is a guessing mm-hmm. discipline. Then whether the conversational ads convert better if you also pound uh, newsfeed ads towards yeah. them. Yeah, even if they're not clicking, if they're just getting impressions made yes, on the newsfeed. That's what I mean, ads. like more brand impressions. So they. Yeah. I don't have the conclusion yet for that, but I, I'm testing it a little bit to see if there's any distinction to be made there. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a vague theory that uh, I haven't properly tested, but I've been I've been doing it now for a couple of years, which is to try to post a small a small piece of video like a vlog every day on LinkedIn and the only the only anecdotal evidence i have that that works is just lots of people telling me that they can't get me off of their LinkedIn news feed because i think it's just the LinkedIn algorithm it's it's clearly favoring freshness and and i think now i'm i'm certainly tracking the views and a lot of times the views are not that impressive but i i, I really do believe that even as people scroll past and see me day after day after day, and they start to know who I am. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe they're only going to stop and turn on the sound uh, one in five of those videos. You know, maybe the moment's not right. But even for a brief second, they will be reminded of me. They're just going to see my face and my bald head, and there, there it is again. And and I we really have seen, I mean, maybe it's not necessarily uh, causation, but it's certainly correlation. Yeah. Um, once we started doing that and investing in that kind of high, high frequency, we did start to see a lot more activity in, in LinkedIn and more people um, reaching out. And a lot of people even just were mentioning, you know, just keep seeing you, keep seeing you so much in LinkedIn. And then when the timing is right, then they yeah. were top of mind. It's really like a top of mind thing. I um, and they're actually not consuming. They're not really consuming most of it, but they're yeah. just seeing. Yeah. So um, I think like <laughs> most people way overestimate how memorable they are <laughs> yeah so it's consistency keeps staying top of mind that's the only thing that matters yeah like people will forget about you they have like 
they're be, being bombarded with priorities in their companies. And the only mm. way that that you get those deals is that you constantly stay top of mind. Yeah, and that that's every day you need to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think another another reason why a lot of people are not developing this habit is because they feel like they run out of things to talk about because they they think that they can't repeat themselves and i think that's another yeah. mistake <laughs> yeah 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 you think it as very uh, that's very very true like you think about your own story as like this is a book with chapters and i remember all my chapters yeah but the truth is the followers they only see like every 10th chapter of that book so yeah you know just repeat so, the same message. yeah there's nothing wrong with repetition in fact you should be you should be repeating a lot yeah and once i got over that mental hurdle myself yeah Oh yeah, I can. I mean, I can pull out the camera and I can. I can do almost. You know, if something is coming to mind, I'll, I'll just repeat my. I keep banging on the drum and and I say it in slightly different ways, mm -hmm. but I am repeating a whole lot of the times, because I know people are really just taking a tiny slice of of what I'm offering, and yeah. I want to make sure that that message gets through at the right time. And I think that uh, people overestimate how <laughs> how perfect post needs to be. It's kind of just yeah. No document what you do and post that and then wake up next day and then document something else you did and keep posting it. Yeah. You don't have to do the perfect post because, you know, maybe the perfect post doesn't catch the algorithm that day when you did the post and then it gets yeah. absolutely zero exposure. Yeah. And then yeah. you've spent so much time making the perfect post instead of just getting something done, move on with your day. Mm hmm yeah and then once in a while you do something that blows up or pisses people off and then you have a lot of interactions yeah yeah oh we're always still very surprised at which posts are are having the the great the great engagement and which ones are flopping and uh it's, it's definitely it's almost like a, a muscle that you need to work out if, if you do something every day yeah. you're going to get better at it and you should never even try to uh, try to achieve something like a perfect post. I mean, there is really no such thing. I mean, I think it's about, as you said, it's about documenting. If you feel inspired, if you read something and you feel inspired and you want to share it with some colleagues, well, instead of doing that, why not just take out your phone and shoot a quick video and share it with the whole world and share it with everybody in your industry? Mm. And don't, uh, just uh, don't hesitate and, and, don't don't let that fear that this might not come out the right way or maybe I haven't rehearsed it or uh, yeah. just put it out there. And um, that is just building that kind of, it's like training training in the gym. You know, if you go every day, you're going to get better results over the long term and, and you're going to get yeah. better and better at it and it's going to feel more natural. Um, and I think that's, that's part of this too. And then when we tie that back to attribution, I still think, you know, no, nobody can really say, if I spend three hours a day on LinkedIn and I'm creating content and I'm actively commenting in other threads, mm. I think still you have to just chalk that up to serendipity at the end, at least today where we are. Um, we are, we are definitely generating demand when we do this, but it's still very far from being quantifiable and, and connecting the dots. Yeah. And it's gonna, you, you also, you need to, have, I think the people also then, overly reply on data sometimes because like if you know it works it works mm -hmm. <laughs> like no data is gonna like change that because yeah. like if if you know i'm doing these things and people mention my name and we get more customers mm -hmm. then there is attribution then the activities is are connected there's just no statistical proof for it but that's where you need experience and gut feeling to kind of guide your behavior right right so it's not replacing your intuition. It's just supporting your intuition. Yeah, exactly. That's, I think that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, Stefan, this has been, this has been really fun and uh, we could probably go on a lot longer here. <laughs> it sounds uh, like it. <laughs> can you just, what, is there anything that I haven't asked you or was there anything else that, uh, that you wish I would have asked you maybe that, that you'd like our audience to know? No, I think we've, if, I don't know. I think I would definitely, if you feel like you're not getting enough credit for your work as a B2B marketer, SaaS marketer, then definitely consider looking into to attribution because typically you're starting a lot more journeys than you're actually giving credit for, at least if you're using uh, Google Analytics. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well said. And I think the time is ripe for, it's also probably why we're seeing a lot of um, 
analytics tools popping up now because Google Analytics mm. really isn't cutting it for a lot of people. And I think it was assumed for a long time that no one really could compete with this giant free product. Yeah. But I think that's changing now. I think there's a lot of players now helping people do it better. And, and certainly data is one of them. The, the whole CDP industry is also coming from this, that you can actually store who the people are and the people owns multiple devices. And then you can make conclusion of the user and not based on devices. I think that's mm -hmm. an essential component of understanding digital marketing and uh, yeah, going ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So, uh, Stefan, can you just tell people where they can find you online? And yeah, um, uh, yeah. If they want to check out Dream Data, it's DreamData.io under our website. But I'm typically mostly active on on LinkedIn, so any people mm -hmm. can just hit me up with any question they might have there. I guess you okay. will send some show notes where my name. We my sure will. Yeah, we'll Danish have this in the, in the show notes also. Yeah. Great. Stefan, this has been great. Thanks. Thanks for spending the time with me. I, I, I learned a ton today. Um, I, I thought I, I had a good grip of attribution, but now I, I feel like I've got even a better grip of it. It's a, <laughs> I hope so. Um, it's a problem that's always going to be there. And, yeah. uh, but I think just the, the awareness of it and, and still a lot of, a lot of decision makers who are not in marketing still aren't really even that aware of what it is. And, um, really giving, giving a lot more credit in places that are, are simply just further down funnel as opposed to influencing a, a purchase decision. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks a lot, Stefan, and uh, look forward to keeping in touch with you. Good luck with, with you. Yeah. Have a nice day, Paris. Thanks. Bye. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P, dot online. Have a great day.